Radio. This is Catholics Read on cradio.org.au. Hello and welcome to this episode of Catholics Read. I'm Luke. And I'm Victoria. Kiara is uh, double booked. I yep. think I think this <laughs> is the booked. second attempt we've done at this episode. <laughs> you may have noticed that we weren't here um, last week. Um, but it's because, look, I was having problems with the computer and all that kind of thing. And, you know, although I tried turning it off and on again for the program <laughs> and the mixing board itself, I didn't try it for the computer. You know, I did computer studies and stuff at high school and I don't know, the tried turning it off and on again thing just didn't occur to me. So we postponed it to this. So we've postponed it to the following fortnight. So we've missed a fortnight, uh, which we don't do very often, but we've done it this time. Um, But this week we are reading, uh, we're reading not a full, a full text. Uh, We are reading, we're just calling it uh, Echo and Narcissus. Um, which is fable, it's sort of in book three of um, Ovid's Metamorphoses. Um, I have no idea if that's how you pronounce it properly, but um, within that. And so, most people would probably be familiar with the story thanks to its artwork, its its use within language. It's in a lot of artwork. Uh, the Pre-Raphaelites in- loved the story. John William Waterhouse had a great one. Look it up. There you go. Um, maybe you can tell the story, Victoria. Um, okay, it's quite a short story. Um, you could really go away for about five minutes and read it now. You could. That's okay. We'll give you a little bit of a, a run through. You would have heard something similar or maybe heard references to items of the story. It combines two stories that I actually thought were separate. I'm not sure why I ever thought that um, until I read it in my lit studies two or three years ago. And it's the story of Echo, who is a nymph, and she is, um, loquacious isn't the word, there's actually a really funny word that comes up. And a nymph's a fairy, just for anyone who may not be familiar with. Yes, she's quite garrulous, uh, which means that she's excessively talkative, especially in trivial sort of matters. Mm. And um, she tricks one of the, um, she tricks Juno um, by keeping her at bay with a lot of conversation while Juno's husband is off with other nymphs. Mm. And um, because of this, she is cursed uh, to never say her own words anymore, but to only be able to repeat what someone said to her. And so here we find Echo in this state. She still has a body, by the way. She has a body as a nymph, but she can only repeat what people have said. And she finds Narcissus, who is a very beautiful... um, uh, I think he's a half-nymph? He's, he's definitely he something. He's a something. Um, in, in, the, in that mythological realm, no one's ever really human, fully human or fully he's anything. A thespian, They're usually, a, but not. He's he's not a mix of stuff. Use. Yeah. Um, and he's so beautiful. It just it goes. It's a pain. Oh, he's the um, he's the su- yeah, yeah yeah. He's a yeah. mix. He's like um, the son of someone and someone and it's, yeah yeah. Over it goes o- into his birth. Like it talks about his birth in there somewhere. I think. Yes. Um. Doesn't matter. You can yeah, look that up. Yeah, it's you complicated. Need to. These um, things are complicated. Over does it uh, pains to stress how beautiful Narcissus is, um, and so Echo sees Narcissus and um, he calls out because he's looking for his hunting party. And she, you can't actually paraphrase this. I need to find where it is. And to assist her words, comes out of the woods to put her arms around his neck in longing. 
He runs from her and running cries, Away with these encircling hands, may I die before what's mine is yours. And she only answers, What's mine is yours. So it's this interplay between, it's this sort of false dialogue between what he says and what she says and the very different meaning between the two. And so Echo is uh, distraught by this. She goes into a cave and wastes away for her unrequited love for Narcissus and becomes just a sound. And that's where we get the whole Echo myth from. Um, People would hear echoes in caves and that's the story they came up to justify this natural phenomena. And then, Luke, take the wheel. What happens to Narcissus? So Narcissus, um, so Echo, is it, so this, um, what is it? Uh, Nemesis uh, (laughs) decides to seize this and and thinks that Narcissus um, is not a very nice. No, 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 that's not what happens. (laughs) I think you've heard something different. This is, because Narcissus is so beautiful and people have, Everyone is attracted to him. He's rebuffed lots of people. And one of these people doesn't oh, say... Oh, sorry. Yes, 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 yes doesn't yes, say yes. who it is. Um, curses no, ne- to the sky and says, may... Yeah, and Nemesis hears that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, right. sorry. And Nemesis, yes. The, Nemesis the goddess. is involved. Yes, yeah. sorry. I thought you were talking about his Nemesis. No, no. Nemesis, sorry. as in the, the, the goddess, is is ra- thinks that the Narcissus should be taught a lesson. And listens to the cry of this anonymous rebuffed yeah. person. Um, and so he he's led to a um, to a to a beautiful like he goes into massive detail about this lake yes. and about how it's never been disturbed. <laughs> like so obviously we're trying to really try and emphasize the fact that he'll be able to see himself in this lake, yes, um, which he does. And he leans over and he's sort of struck frozen because he sees himself and sees himself as being incredibly beautiful um, and just wants to give himself to himself, as weird as that sounds, or rather to the reflection. Uh, and so he realises that, that it's a reflection of himself, but he sort of can't pull himself away from this. And so he despairs of this. He goes through this long sort of monologue um, and and despairs of this, realising that action of himself, but he can never be with the reflection obviously because it's a lake if he attempts to try and and he's, he goes through mm. this if he attempts to try and like you know touch the touch the person on in the reflection it's just water like you know there's nothing there um he it says in the commentary that he kills himself but i sort of i think he just wastes away very he sort of I think just he, like, it's quite similar to how echo sort of wastes away yeah, I think it's, there's it's meant a bit, to be a bit of a mirroring sort of technique like it's, being done there. there. There's definitely in the commentary, it definitely says that there's that there's an act of suicide in there. Oh. But whether it's sort of simply being very vague or, or very loose with that term, I'm not sure. Um, the point is, the nymphs go to bury him, and they can't find a corpse. They instead find flowers. Yeah, so there's the there's the Narciss- Narcissus flower, which is a flower. If you go into that grows on Google the rim and type of, in know, Narcissus, lakes. there's there's the flower, um, and that's end the of story. story. End of story. Um, and then Ovid goes into some other stories. Yeah, and then he, he just, just leaves sort of that and and goes on to the next. Yep. Several, but they all interweave. Myths. Yep, they all interweave. <laughs> so hundred. one story will end, and then another will pick up quite organically by picking up the last yeah. element of that story and going into a yeah. new story. Which is kind of like what Narcissus and Echo is. Like yeah. it's it's two it's two separate stories, but, but they're so well interweaved with each other that you can put them as one. Yeah. Um, 
and so yeah I don't know like there's there's plenty that can be talked about here and we were talking about this beforehand and I said that I'm concerned that um, we'll be talking either A, about things that everyone else has talked about, or B, things that we've already talked about in previous <laughs> episodes. Uh, and so we'll briefly touch on the A part of that, which is things that probably a lot of other people have talked about. Um, Narcissus, as far as I'm aware, I may be wrong in this, so send in corrections um, because this is not my area of study. Um, but uh, Narcissus comes back into... I guess his 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 story is always somewhat famous through art, mm. um, but his story sort of gets popular usage, um, or at least sort of popular journalistic usage. I don't know commentary usage um, through Freud, the uh, the psychologist from the uh, from the twentieth century, um, and his term narcissism, uh, which has come to which has become narcissistic personality disorder. Um, which is an excessive self. I don't want to use the word love. Obsession. Mm. An excessive self obsession. Or infatuation. Or infa- inf- actually, infatuation is probably the right word. An excessive self infatuation, um, which I probably don't really need to describe. It's the term narcissist is used so much these days that we probably don't need to explain what that is. But so we won't touch on that, but we do see it a lot in our society, that I think that our society is one that does, um, especially, I think, in recent times, uh, is especially um, tries to emphasise narcissism as a good thing, um, particularly, I think, through... We were talking about this before, things like um, like selfies and that kind of thing, that the self is and the branding of the self... Uh, is something that's particularly emphasised. Um, I just one example, uh, and I think that illustrates this is that um, what's his name? Uh, a, an English comedian whose name I've completely um, Elton. What's his name? Uh, second name's Elton. Uh, 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 no his idea. name is completely fo- um, Ben. Ben Elton? No. Why don't you just Google it? Let's Google it. <laughs> um, it's comedian Elton. Thanks, internet. Ben Elton. Yeah, I was right. Okay. Well so Ben Elton, um, I think it was Ben Elton, was relating this story about how he um, he went to visit a primary school. And this was back in the early 2000s. And I may have talked about this on this show. I can't remember. But he, he visited this primary school back in the early 2000s, I think. And um, he went there and he sort of was talking to the kids. And he's like, what do you want to be when you grow up? Uh, and he was expecting, as was probably the norm when he was a child, for people to say things like an astronaut, a scientist, you know, a police officer, a nurse, like, you know, those kinds of things. They said famous. And this disturbed him thoroughly. Wow. Um, and so I find that quite interesting. And I think that sort of brings out kind of that, that narcissist thing where it's not so much about, like, the what I can do, but how people see me and that I'm the centre of attention. Um, and that's not the fault of the children. I mean, if they grow up watching television, well, what else are they going to expect life to be about? So we'll push that to a side <laughs> when we're already, like, half well and truly halfway over the timer. And let's talk about something else. I don't know, Victoria. What? Well, we can talk about... Um the context surrounding this story and a bit of background info. That's why I Go find that it. really interesting. So Ovid or Ovid, I've, I've, ne- I've heard both. So I'm going to use Ovid though. <laughs> it's um, not, we're not, we're not, we're not in a potentially very, it's not, it's not something completely different. 
Ovide. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what else it could be. Anyway. Um, yeah. Ovid is Horus. a Roman uh, Latin poet uh, from the turn of... Rome. From, no, from, uh, you know... From the... The turn of the... You don't call the it the turn, turn of, of the first millennium. The turn of the first millennium. So he was, he was around it? during the life of Christ. Yes. The early life of Christ. It's really interesting. Um, born in 43 BC and died in 17 or potentially 18 AD. And the Metamorphoses, or Metamorphoses, I don't know how you say that, is um, a collection of 15 books in a catalogue. Not a collection, they're a catalogue, which I quite like. And if you're getting really technical, they're called a, um, a mythological or etiological catalogue. Mm. And um, which sort of... This is what we were talking about last fortnight, before, yeah. we, all, before we almost um, went on air. Um, when you said that you found that the other stories were sort of mixed in with a bit of history. And yeah. Myth, you want to yeah. talk about that a little yeah. bit? Yeah, so and that's an interesting thing. With with the metamorphoses, um, I keep on overpronouncing that word because I'm not entirely sure how you do it. This is, this is what I'm thinking. You know how you have thesis and theses? You've got metamorphosis and metamorphoses. That, okay, that sounds let's go correct with that. to me. More metamorphoses. Um, with that, um, you find... So what it is is that it's kind of like um, a, a, histo- a history of the world in a mythological format. It, the correct term is mythohistorological Framework, okay. Or mythohistorical framework. I'm not quite sure. So, the so the idea is that what he's doing is he starts with a creation story, and ends, I think, with basically the um, the ascent to the to the imperial throne of Julius Caesar. That's where it ends. Which is really <laughs> you got a lot of space to cover in that. Which is, I guess is why it's so long. Um, Keep in mind, he's writing in the Augustan age, by the way. So he's a contemporary of uh, yes, Livy of and not- Virgil and uh, people. So he's post. Of that era, so he's post uh, Julius Caesar. Um, but that's, I believe, where it ends. And I guess it's from memory, from reading about it, possibly on Wikipedia. Um, <laughs> it's kind of like the Julius. It sort of ends with Julius Caesar's claim to to divinity. Um, that escalated quickly. It's a bit. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, it was interesting to see uh, this pattern between the divine and the human weaving, yeah, weaving yeah, through the whole of, story. So it's quite apt that it finishes with the emperor who um, who literally claims. Oh, does does he? I'm not sure. All right, so sorry. This is that's going to sound like a really weird split there in the conversation. But we decided we'd actually go back and check this out. Julius Caesar didn't actually claim himself to be a god. Uh, it was posthumously done uh, to mm. him. The later emperor did claim to be, but that's not part of the story. No, it's not. Um, so that's that's kind of where it is. So it is like as you say, there's that interesting interweaving um, there between between the mythical um, and and the historical reality. Um, so I guess that that's it's quite an interesting, um, interesting method of of writing. I think it's really. It, I think someone should do it for our time. Try and do the history of something and weave in a, a bit of a, mytho- cynic, a cynic could say we already are. Well, um, no, imagine if you did it for Australian history. You have you know the prime ministers and the various union <sighs> movements and stuff. But really you but but, but 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 you weave in the bunyip and all these other things and Harold Holt's mysterious. You know, disappearance and well, I mean, I that guess, would be quite I guess, interesting. I guess the well, I guess the equivalent of that would be the. I mean, 
for example, with the disappearance of Harold Holt. There's the claims that the Russians <laughs> captured him. I mean, we can we can sort of, it's but so like cool. that's I guess possibly. An equivalent. I guess the poets, I don't think, back in Roman times did literally think that Narcissus was actually, you know, like, mm. Narcissus was allegedly based on, an, on a true person, but whether the poets thought that they were being serious about it, like they were okay. writing historical reality in the same way that, say, um, Luke, mm. uh, the author of the Gospel of Luke, was writing about a historical okay. re- reality. He, here's a really good segue into something else I, I desperately wanted to address. Use the word serious, whether they're being serious about it. And this is something that I, I'd never thought about, wouldn't have um, uh, considered unless I'd had to study this a few okay. years ago and write an essay about it. And I had to obviously research um, this story. Don't worry about it, we've got time. We've got one minute. <laughs> um, no, no, no. <laughs> Buffer time. And um, it's the fact that most academics think this story is highly satirical. Ah. Um, it's not meant to be this highly melodramatic, operatic sort of serious yeah. story. It's meant to be highly satirical. It's ah. meant to be funny. Yeah. That Narcissus, not maybe, maybe not funny, maybe ironic. Like black comedy um, kind of thing. That Narcissus dies after basically being the cause of Echo wasting away. Mm. It's we're meant to sort of laugh along in this sort of in this element of meta humor with the gods who have been cursing people because we see what happens. Oh, right? okay. It's very it's interesting. And one of the main commentators on this who's um, made quite a dint in the academia is our dear friend C.S. Lewis. Ah. Um, so there he's we go. written all about this. Why didn't we bring this up earlier? Well, I was I was just waiting. That's all right. It's that's okay. Good. We got we'll, there in we'll the end. We'll dedicate the rest of it to this. Well, we got there in the end and that's all that matters, so. <laughs> um, so C.S. Lewis wrote uh, every once in a while on Ovid, especially in The Allegory of Love, which is a beautiful book he wrote, uh, kind of looking at English literature as it comes from classical mm. um, influences and um, courtly love and all those sort of things, how they've come into literature. It's an excellent book. I highly recommend it. And he says, this is a quote from him, um, Ovid presupposes an audience to whom love is one of the minor picadillos of life. Now, picadillo is a relatively minor fault or sin. Um, and the joke consists in treating it seriously. Mm. Um, later on, he says, uh, when he's referring to another poet, he says, even in combining love poetry with satire on women, this poet follows the lines laid down by Ovid. He also points out that Ovid was chauvinist as well. Um, he thought, as in, like, one of the funniest elements of this story yeah. is meant to be that Echo takes um, initiative. A... That's oh, meant okay. to be hilarious, ah. that she runs out to Echo. That's that's one of the first instances that you know it's satire. Anyway. There you go. See, that's it's one of those fascinating things that I find also with um, being 2,000 years distant from this text. Like, it's so hard to kind of figure out were they being, like, I use the term serious here, were they being serious or were they well, not? And Like, that's why we've got to put ourselves within the context of... of um, because uh, poems like this would have been read in Roman society for entertainment. Mm. Um so like no said, one, no one was sort of like you know sitting next to the sitting next to whatever the Roman equivalent is of a fire, drinking a, a bottle, like of drinking scotch, a glass and of thinking scotch, about how and thinking about narcissus 
No, no, they were, no, they were drinking dis- wine and laughing at the story they were down at and the pub. Yeah. This. Okay. And because it was written in heroic hexameter, which is um, it's particularly good for being read out loud mm. in this sort of in this fashion with the six feet um, using uh, the dactyl technique, which means that it sort of has this. Um, What'd you say, sir? Dactyl, sort like of pterodactyl. like sort of like pterodactyl. So in in heroic hexameter, you can either have dactyls, which um, are uh, a stressed feet followed by two non-stressed. Don't laugh; it's an interesting. Or the pterodactyl, or, or, which, is, which is two stressed wings. <laughs> <laughs> or a spondy, I think that's how you say it, which are two two stressed feet. Now, the, the former creates this pace. The second creates almost like an adagio in music. It slows it down. So it's written with the first um, type, which means that it's quite good for being said out loud. Mm. Now, the interesting thing is, I can't remember who said this, but someone said that you can almost imagine this Roman guy getting up there and really emphasizing the passage, the passage where Narcissus is falling in love with himself. Yeah. Um, and you can just imagine everyone thinking it was hilarious. So you've okay. got here a form, a face, and loved with a leaping heart, a hope unreal, and thought the shape was real, spellbound he saw himself, et cetera, et cetera, so et cetera. You, okay, I'm kind of, yeah, I know what you mean. Like something like from, um, well, we did The Importance of Being Earnest or something mm. like that. Like someone really sort of just being really boisterous and... And not particularly... Yeah, um, I mean, this is just one theory, but it dominates a lot okay. of the academia, so we must obviously pay a bit of attention to it. Mm. Other people other people think it might have been more serious, but the evidence just doesn't seem to support that case as much. Mm, okay. And I'll end with like a, a quote from C.S. Lewis. He's talking here about the context, about these men getting up here and telling these stories. In the second place, being mockingly serious about the appetite, in brackets, love... He is of necessity mockingly serious about the woman. The real objects of Ovid's, in quotation marks, love, no doubt, he would have ordered out of the room before the serious conversations about books or politics or family affairs began. The moralist may treat them seriously, that is, love, women, desire. But the man of the world, such as Ovid, certainly does not. Mm. Hmm. That's that's very interesting. Thank you, C.S. Lewis, for... For that contribution there. Definitely. Um, and also, just as a note, the translation we were reading from was the Klein translation, but there are a whole host of others that are very good. Yes. Especially the, the Alexander Pope um, one that has a um, rhyme in it. The one we're reading is in um, just... It's just normal writing. It's prose. Yep. Yep. So, yes, I was reading another one that was also in prose. Um, yeah. But there are various translations. Yeah. So... Excellent. That is... I think it's time. I think it's time for us to wrap up. Most certainly. Victoria has to speed off. Mm-hmm. Um, and so... So, yes. So, uh, I guess that's... We've, we've covered a little bit. We didn't cover a huge amount. There's, a, there's only um, two but, I mean, of us, it's, and it's a short story. So and it is worry. a short story. I mean, there's plenty that can be said about this. I'd, I'd recommend Write in it. if you've read anything interesting that we yeah. haven't gone anywhere near, because we'd like to learn more. I mean, I'd recommend it with the... With the caveat that um, Plato thought that this stuff was garbage, uh, was immoral <laughs> Plato, garbage. Plato was very um, distrusting of poetry, though. Plato didn't like the poets. <laughs> um, so, with the, with the obvious... Oh, we were going to talk about that. We never did. What? Um, okay, I'm just gonna, I'll, I'll Go just really you put it as a caveat. Uh, with the obvious caveat that, um, that you may have heard the news uh, last year. Remember how we were talking about the... Um, we talked about last, last time 
the thing about at the university over in the United over in the United States, there was I believe oh, okay, a yes. person who made a complaint. Um, I, it was about this text. It wasn't about Narcissus and Echo, but it was about this text in general. Um, so I mean, just because I like to keep things g-rated or if there is anything more than g-rated to give a bit of a warning um just the warning that um there may be morally problematic elements to this um but that's the and when you're dealing with ancient texts that's generally what you're dealing with so i don't particularly think there's anything worse than what you'd find in most ancient texts Mm -hmm. um Cool. So next time, uh, we do you want to do um, that that work by um, that Kiara recommended by um, George Bernard Shaw? Pygmalion. Yes. Carrying on in the classical theme. Well, um, I, I think mean, that could be good. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. We started early enough. Yeah. Well, let's <laughs> start as soon as possible. We've got a bit of an extra jump. Yeah. Um. So yes, uh, we will. Join join us next time as we read. Uh, what is it? Pygmalion. Yeah. Pygmalion. Um, and happy Easter to our listeners. It'll be just after the octave of Easter when you listen to this. Um, but nonetheless, it's still the Easter season. In something that I find really fantastic about the liturgical year is that the Easter season is one week longer than Lent. Yes. Um, which Rightly is fantastic. So. Which just like it just sort of shows you that we lo- we we do in we do like to um, to fast. But we also like to feast, and the feast is better. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm. Um, but both are necessary in <laughs> in this temporal life. So, join us next time as we read George Bernard Shaw's Pygmalion. Bye. Bye. That was an episode of Catholics Read from cradio.org.au.